Welcome to Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. We both work on magic at Wizards of the Coast. We don't work on the story, but we work with the people who do. In this podcast, we recap magic story and condense it into easy to consume episodes. And of course, it wouldn't be magic without flavor text. So we'll give you our thoughts as well. This season, we are talking all about Dominaria United. Join us as we head into the multiverse. Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. This season, we are diving into Dominaria United, which is a five-part story. Today, we're talking about episode two, Sand in the Hourglass by Langley Hyde. But before we do that, Natalie, can you help recap on what happened last time and where we are now? Yeah, so in episode one, we follow this character, this planeswalker named Karn. And he is kind of this super magical automaton creature who was searching for artifacts in the in, in the caves of Dominaria, um, this plane, this home plane of magic. Um, and he happens to stumble across what he realizes is fresh Phyrexian machinery, right? Like he realizes he's searching for evidence of the Phyrexians and he just stumbles upon it in episode one when he's digging through in these caves. And so he goes in to explore and it just so happens that he discovers where Shieldred had been hiding out in the bottom part of, of Dominaria. And Shieldred is this spiderish sort of machine creature. She's terrifying. And she had been, she shouldn't be here in Dominaria, but yet she is. She had somehow traversed between planes, which shouldn't be able, like Frexian should not be able to do that. Only planeswalkers are able to walk between planes, hence the name. And so Karn's trying to figure out how a dangerous machine Phyrexian creature spider thing got here. And while he's doing this, he gets into an epic fight with Rona, who is a Phyrexian acolyte, basically doing Shiedrid's bidding. There's this epic battle between the two of them. And Karn is able to hear Shieldred's thoughts. And she has said that we have placed Phyrexians everywhere, all over the multiverse. And so... Karn knows that this is bad. This is really, really bad. And before he's able to do anything, I mean, he's trying to construct a bomb. He's trying to do anything to, to destroy Shieldred before she's able to kind of evaporate away or however she was able to, to traverse between planes. And before he's able to do this, Shieldred breaks apart into a million tiny little baby machine spiders and disappears. And... There is a massive, like a massive uh, rock fall in this cave and completely buries Karn. Um, and that's where we left off, where he had run across Shieldred and she had escaped. And Karn is buried un- under this avalanche of rock. And by the way, no one knows he's here. All right. Like he did not leave a note. He didn't tell anybody that he was here. So Karn's in a bad situation, y'all. So imagine you're a being that doesn't need food, water, or rest, and you're trapped under a pile of rocks. You know you're not going to perish, but you also know time is passing. You have full mental capacities, so you're going a little crazy, and you're not sure if a week, a month, or several months have passed. That's where we find Karn in episode two. Yeah, so every mountaineer knows that you need to leave 
a note as to where you are going and who you're going with and how long you're going to be gone. That is like the number one rule when you go out into the wilderness and you're by yourself. Um, because otherwise, how is anyone going to be able to find you? So Karn, you did not follow standard protocol here. Yeah, absolutely. Karn is not, um, you know, Karn and Joyra are really good friends and she's been sending him these letters, but he hasn't even been responding. And so even his very best friend, the people he's close with, don't know where he is. And this is partially because he's he's gone through some stuff. You know, he, he really had a hard time um, a while ago and just he's really taking some time for himself. And he's almost isolating himself. Yeah, absolutely. On purpose. And that's almost like he's almost being proud. Like, I can't help but like, like, you know, be a little bit frustrated with Karn at this point because he's it's like for us reading, it's like, come on, Karn, you know, better than this. But he's like, like you said, he's gone through this really, really hard time. So he's kind of like almost self-isolating and trying to do almost like this proving of himself, which is why he's hunting for these Phyrexians. He feels like no one hears him. He feels like no one understands him. He's going through like this existential crisis almost. Yeah, he really is. And it really speaks to how human Karn was created to be. Which is amazing because Karn is, of course, made completely of metal. And so the fact that he has such a human soul in him, I mean, how human is it to be proud, to, too proud to ask for help, too proud to tell someone where you're going? You know what? You guys don't believe me? Well, I'm going to go get proof and I'm going to bring it back to you. That is such a human thing to do. It's like the opposite of Phyrexian. Yeah. So in, in, in a way, it's almost heartwarming to see this, right? It's like, it's almost demonstrating a flaw in Karn's personality because it shows that there are humanish qualities about him, even though he's, he's machine, right? And he's different. He's different than other machines. He's different than the Phyrexians for sure. Okay. So Karn is worried. No one is going to even know he's gone because again, he didn't tell anyone where he was going or he's worried that maybe the Phyrexians will come back for him. But as he's starting to truly panic and wonder if all of his efforts were for nothing, if the Phyrexians may have taken over half the freaking multiverse by now, he's rescued by a fellow planeswalker, and it's a Johnny. <gasps> oh, it's a Johnny. So for those of you who don't know who a Johnny is, he is a type of Leonin. Um, it's the Nakatl race that he's from. Um, and he is a fellow planeswalker like Karn, so he's able to planeswalk between planes of the multiverse. And he has these healing abilities. And, you know, just like a quick recap of, of Ajani's story is like he had the potential to be a mage, you know, like a few years ago. But his true calling was always to be a warrior. Um, and like one of the most iconic things that you'll see about Ajani is that he wields this like massive, mighty axe. And this axe was once his brother's. Um, but then the death of his brother many years ago is what caused his planeswalker spark to ignite. And he's a planeswalker ever since, but he wields his brother's axe, which is actually really heartwarming. So Ajani is so beloved by so many of our fans. And it's not just because Ajani is essentially a giant cat person. Uh, of course, you know, in Magic, we make a lot of cat cards. Um, and so there's a lot of people who who love, have like personality decks based off of off of cats. And a lot of them will have Ajani in their deck. But that's not the only reason. I Nasky, am one of those people, by the way. I definitely have a cat commander deck that has tons of Ajani cards in them and have tons of iconic cat characters built into it and that's all it is that's the theme that's the deck that i have built is off of cats i absolutely adore cats i mean who doesn't but you know people love a johnny because he's just he's such a hero he's such a good 
planeswalker. He unites people. He brings people together. He brings the hope. Imagine you're in a dire situation and this giant Leonin shows up with a massive axe to save you. You're just going to be, if it's, that's a Johnny, you know, if a Johnny shows up to save you, you are, you're going to feel inspired and hopeful and like, okay, I'm going to make it out of this situation. So a Johnny explains that Karn's dear friend Joyra, that's been writing him these letters, actually has been trying to locate him for some time. And she actually had someone place a tracking spell on these letters. And then the tracking spell essentially was on the envelope. So if he's, Johnny says that there's a tracking spell on the envelope and anytime Karn opens the envelope, Joyra kind of knows Karn's alive, Karn's okay. He's opening my letters, everything's fine. Even if he's not responding. A Johnny tells Karn that Joyra has sent a Johnny to go and figure out where Karn might be since he's not opened any of these envelopes in a long time. He also tells Karn that a few months have passed since Karn was buried. Yes, a few months. Can you imagine? You don't, he doesn't sleep. He like, he can't even escape for a little while into dreams. He, he's just this like mechanical being that doesn't need anything to survive. He's just living on there. Okay, okay, so a few months have passed. The Phyrexians could be anywhere. Like, Shieldra disappeared, if y'all remember. What's happened? Like, there was Phyrexians on Dominaria. Like, what's happened? They could have taken over the multiverse by now. Exactly, and so obviously Karn is frustrated by this, right? Like he he knows they've got to get get cracking, they got to get moving. So Shieldred could have fully reassembled herself by now even, right? I mean, yeah. the worst could have happened. So Karn's first concern is, did they get the Silex or is it still in his like workshop in that cave? So Karn tells Ajani he wants to check on his equipment because he doesn't want to let Ajani know that he has the Silex with him because he still doesn't know who he can fully trust now that he has proof that Phyrexians are back. Now, thankfully, the Silex and that clay tablet he found in episode one that has etchings on it that match the Silex are back in the cave safe and sound with no trace of Phyrexian components on or in them. Phew. And of course, he can kind of feel that with his power, right? He can reach into it and understand what the molecules of the components are or what the what the organic materials that make up the, uh, the piece are. Right, right. That's how he was able to know it was fresh Phyrexian oil when he ran across that machine last episode. So exactly. Like he was able to sense it just by touching it. And that's also how Shieldred was able to speak to him in his mind, right? Like he was able to touch Shieldred. She was so like she was so machine at that point in her in her like rebuild when she was in this cave. That's how he was able to hear her thoughts almost. Yeah. So Karn takes a lot of care not to let Ajani even see him looking at the Silex. He goes into his workshop and he kind of looks around, just kind of makes a pass through with his eyes, and he barely glances at it, but he does see it. It's there, it's safe and sound. And instead, he tries to shift focus to a wound a Johnny got while digging Karn out of the caved-in cave. <laughs> but pretty immediately, a Johnny asks what Karn is doing here. Karn tells a Johnny that he was here looking for artifacts and regales the whole story up to the point where Shieldred and her minions take off. A Johnny immediately leaps into action and says they need to warn everyone. But Karn already tried that, and no one would listen to him. That's the whole reason he was on Dominaria looking for help in the form of an artifact of physical proof that well, he was right about the Phyrexians coming back. Poor Karn. No one takes him seriously. I know! It's such a bummer. He's like, y'all, I swear, I have the most experience with Phyrexians. I'm the only planeswalker that can't really be turned into a Phyrexian. Why won't you listen to me? <laughs> okay, so during the fight with Shieldred, Rona... Her spearhead had actually snapped off into Karn's abdomen. And Ajani points out that they have proof. There it is. 
It's a Phyrexian artifact. It's a Phyrexian weapon inside Karn's body. And he tells them that there are two nations in Dominaria who will definitely take any proof of Phyrexian presence seriously. So they planeswalk to the location of the Keldons and the Banalish. So can you take us through why we know that these two places are going to take a Phyrexian invasion seriously? So Dominaria is not naive to the Phyrexian threat in any way. In fact, Dominaria was once nearly decimated by a Phyrexian invasion, it sounds like. So at this point, Karn and Ajani decide they're going to planeswalk to the location um, where the Keldons and the Vanalish are actually having some peace talks. And to get a sense of just how beautiful this plane is of Dominaria, I mean, Dominaria is a quintessential magic plane. It's true fantasy, high fantasy. It's exactly what you expect out of a fantasy genre, but it has magic spin on it. And it is just absolutely a beautiful place. Like this is where you want to go on vacation in the multiverse is Dominaria because it's going to be so beautiful. So Natalie, can you actually read this passage that describes the exact location that they planeswalk to? Karn stood knee-deep in wild grasses, orange poppies, and purple flowering thistles. Inland, the farms seemed young, recently cleared land holding fields yellow with blooming canola. The homesteads bled into mountains, the misty temperate rainforests punctuated with emerald alpine meadows. So, green fields, flowers blooming everywhere, and a lot of homesteads fading into the mountains. That sounds absolutely beautiful. So the two planes walk there, then they enter the building, and Karn is like, okay, well, where do we go from here? Like, how do we know where everyone is? And Ajani basically says, well, let's follow the sound of arguing to the peace talks. <laughs> and so they follow that sound. And here's another passage um, from the section as they actually enter the room where these peace talks are occurring. They pushed between brass-bound double doors into a light-filled room dominated by a long granite table. A broad balcony overlooked the sea, and a male-varied thrush, orange-breast with a black collar, black mask, and a black cap, a beautiful creature, perched on its railing. So inside, they find representatives of the two nations, and shortly after they enter, Jaya and Joda enter the room to take part in the negotiation. So they were just, I guess, scheduled to take part in these um in these negotiations so i mean what better luck than than popping up so jaya is a woman with gray hair she has goggles that she wears kind of just above her eyebrow she's wearing red and gold outfit she has a big mage staff that's really twisty and the top of it actually looks like flames her costuming is um, she's got kind of these big metal kind of pauldrons on her shoulder um, and these leather gloves, which I imagine if you handle fire a lot, gloves come in handy. Um, and then she has, um, you know, the uh, the belt, the leather belts are more of a brownish color and, and her like kind of leather armor pieces are a bit brown. Now, Joda is a very striking looking brunette male. He has kind of um, mid-length brown hair. Um, it's usually seen being blown in the wind. He's a very handsome character. And he is wearing um, blue and red. So he also has um, a similar type of magic to Jaya, but their expressions of this magic are different. Um, he's also wearing mage robes. He's a mage himself, but his leathers and buckles are more of that um, navy blue color. Oh, seriously? Jaya's here? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Jaya Ballard is a pyromancer planeswalker. 
So she's a fully ascended boss, and she's been around for a while, y'all. She's like a true veteran of magic and wisdom. So, Natalie, you're not the only one happy to see Jaya. Karn is really happy to see her, too. And Ajani just jumps right in. He tells Jaya and Joda that the Phyrexians have returned to Dominaria. And obviously, they have some questions. First and foremost, how did Shieldred, a non-planeswalker, seemingly planeswalk to Dominaria? Shieldred survived the Blind Eternities, which the Blind Eternities is essentially the space between planes where planeswalkers go when they walk between worlds. This place is completely uninhabitable for non-planeswalkers. I mean, you will not you will not survive going into the blind eternities if you are not a planeswalker. So it's almost like stepping through like a wormhole almost. And like planeswalkers have the magic to be able to go into this wormhole sort of like space. But any normal person, right, would just be like would not be able to survive it. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. That's like the best metaphor that I can kind of put into it. Like you would have to have very special magic in order to travel a wormhole. Right. And that's what planeswalkers are essentially able to do through the multiverse. It seems pretty impossible that Shieldred could get through the Blind Eternities without, you know, not making it through. Planeswalking ability. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Karn responds to them. He says, perhaps most Phyrexians could not survive the journey through the Blind Eternities, but Shieldred had. Even if it had burned away her organic materials, even if it had damaged and weakened her, somehow she had succeeded. So Karn goes on to tell the Dominarians that Shieldred has an entire society of acolytes following her and that she's already completing, and again, completing is the process of turning someone into a Phyrexian or a sleeper agent, dozens of citizens. He then tells them, we cannot know how many Phyrexians are stationed throughout Dominaria's nations. They may even be among us now. So Sten, a young nobleman from New Argive, is really gung-ho about following Karn. He immediately is like, if this is a threat, we have to eradicate it. We have to get rid of this. And it really feels like he's the only one in this group who is taking him seriously, though. I mean, Joda has a lot of questions. He's definitely not ready to just run in and try to save the day. But to bring the point home, Karn just takes the spearhead that Rona had shoved into his abdomen and slams it on the table. I really don't blame Karn right now. I mean, he's very clearly trying to say there's an issue and they're running out of time, right? Like a few, let's remember, a few months had passed since Karn had last seen Shieldred. So the urgency is just like through the roof right now. And the whole room is just like, huh? What? Who? Like, what should we do here? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I really don't blame Karn for just like doing that sort of mic drop where he's just like, here's a Phyrexian artifact. Do you believe me now? Like, he's he's just kind of trying to get this sense of urgency that he feels out to the whole room, who just refuses to feel it. You want proof? Here's your proof. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it actually works out for Karn because Joda recognizes the spear. According to him, this spear is from a known group of acolytes who worship Phyrexia. Ajani jumps in to Karn's defense as well. He says, when has Karn ever lied? Which unfolds to the question, so what do we do in response? We have to fight, right? The meeting group goes on to discuss the current political situation in Dominaria. There are hostilities between the two nations, Keldon and Cabal, that are occupying able-bodied Dominarian soldiers. However, the leaders in this group explain that if the civil unrest is settled on Dominaria, then these soldiers could be aimed toward fighting the Phyrexians. Obviously, Karn is impatient with this news. He can still hear the screams of Shieldred's victims in his memory. But Joda, the wiser, works to calm him that the conflict on Dominaria also matters to resolve, which must come first. And Jaya agrees with this. 
but Jaya promises to help Karn once Dominaria is not at war with itself. After the meeting ends, Karnan and Johnny go alone back to the guest quarters and determine that they first and foremost need to figure out where the Phyrexians are if anyone has any hope of helping. A Johnny watches Karn create a scrying device. So because Karn is so powerful, he can just create devices out of thin air. It's pretty cool. And this particular scrying device can view remote locations. With it, he searches for Joyra and he finds her inside the mana rig. And here's a passage that explains his process, which I think is pretty cool. Karn lifted his hand above the tabletop. He generated first the viewing plane, a copper sheet covered in crystal. He filled the narrow layer between the two materials with liquid. The device's remainder, a complex assemblage of mechanical parts, required his concentration. His body buzzed with the magic coursing through him. So it's pretty cool. He literally can create, if someone can explain what they want him, what kind of mechanical device they want him to make, he can literally create it from thin air. And that, that is his planeswalker ability. And it is it, it, one of his planeswalker abilities. And I just find that so fascinating. It's just like, um, especially as someone who has a tech background, just being able to create, you know, <laughs> something out of thin air is just wild. I love it. Right. That is a incredible power to have, right? Like that must come in so useful as we see now. But also in that cave with Shieldred, he was able to construct a bomb out of thin air. So it's like Karn is also deadly, right? Like he can create very devastating devices in battle situations as well. It's just really, really powerful. Also, I have a question. What's a mana rig? Great question. So the mana rig is this giant metal structure within a desert on a distant land, kind of like a city made of metal. Through this device, Karn glimpses Joyra. She is in her workshop, deep into researching something from what Karn can see. Johnny suddenly asks if Karn could see Shieldred through this device. Karn tries, but the Phyrexians have protections against scrying, so he can't see anything but mist. This is when Johnny casually pulls out the amulet key to the weatherlight for Karn to make a copy. Oh yes, we said the weatherlight. So for those getting caught up to speed, the Weatherlight is a long flying ship that was once used to collect super powerful artifacts. The body of it kind of looks like a mosquito with these vertical wings at its stern, and this thing is massive. So the Weatherlight is on call, but for now, Ajani and Karn are back to their guest room in Dominaria. Karn does not know where the Phyrexians are, so he wants to draw them out. He thinks he can do this with the Silex. It's one of Dominaria's most powerful weapons, so he's going to use it as bait. But first, he has to hide the Silex somewhere safe so they don't actually get it. So Karn returns to the meeting room to let everyone know his plan. But while he's doing this, Teferi, a time-traveling planeswalker, appears in the room and announces, it's the Phyrexians. They were on Kamigawa. So Teferi is a tall, black, male planeswalker who's actually able to manipulate time. That's his power. He's been to a few places throughout the multiverse's history, just to put it mildly, and he's incredibly shrewd in the sciences and philosophy. In short, he would be a really important ally for Karn to have in this fight against the Phyrexians. So after he's said this, he's, he's jumped in, he said basically, the Phyrexians are here, the Phyrexians are here, right? Like he's just kind of come in and announced this. He looks over and says, I have a feeling that my timing was less than immaculate. And of course, Jaya, ever sassy, says, you don't say. So a very Jaya moment here. So Teferi pulls Karnan and Johnny aside from the rest of the room and gives them some really, really grave news. Planeswalkers are vulnerable to the Phyrexians. They took Tamiyo, Teferi says. 
More urgently now, Karn knows he needs to hide the Silex. He planeswalks to Joira's workshop, he, which he'd seen earlier through his scrying device, and hides it in a dusty closet. He makes some elaborate alarms to be able to know if anything tries to get to it before he planeswalks back. Now he's careful to use his planeswalking far enough away from Jaya and the other planeswalkers so his whereabouts won't be sensed by them. But he's walking alone along the beach outside the city when a lantern suddenly spots him. The lantern belongs to Sten. Uh, remember that noble from earlier from New, New Argive and the one where he was all on Karn's side as a part of the discussions earlier in the meeting room? And Sten approaches Karn, just very conversational, and says, I overheard the other planeswalkers that you're immune to Phyrexian influence. Karn confirms this and Sten goes on. This means you may be the only planeswalker that can be trusted. Sten divulges his secret mission to find and destroy Phyrexian sleeper agents on Dominaria. Sten also gives the news Karn desperately needs. New Argive will mobilize to move against the Phyrexians. This is his first militarized ally. Karn runs into Ajani back at the guest quarters, who's also awake at this ungodly early hour. Ajani is pacing, on edge, and after hearing about New Argive's allegiance to their cause, insists on speaking with Jaya to sway her before the next discussions in the meeting room. It's totally clear that at this point, Karn has had it with Jaya and company prioritizing the petty conflicts of the Dominarians over a Phyrexian threat on the multiverse. I don't think Patience is Karn's middle name. So Karn and Ajani do talk with Jaya, at like the crack of dawn, by the way, out on the balcony of their guest quarters. I don't know if you noticed when we were doing that description of Dominaria earlier into this episode, when Karn first stepped into or planes walked into Dominaria, there was a mention of this thrush or this bird with like the black cap and this orange collar and it kept popping up throughout this episode, like this thrush. Well, so this it's behaving super oddly, not even acting like a bird anymore on this balcony. So Karn lashes out, picks it up, growls out, I know what you are. Ajani and Jaya think Karn has like completely lost his mind until this bird like transforms into this Phyrexian bird thing. Harless, could you like do us the honors and read that passage where this bird transforms from this beautiful, multicolored, elegant thrush into an absolute nightmare? Of course. Before I do, though, I just want to say I loved how um, Langley, the writer of this story, slowly introduces this thrush and it keeps popping up. I take notes when I read these stories. I print them out and I take notes on them. And I just wrote... I kept writing, what is up with this bird? Because they did such a good job of like, oh, look, a beautiful bird. It's just a part of the beautiful scenery of Dominaria. And then it's there again. And then it's there again. And it's listening. It's always watching. And I, it, Langley does such a good job of making the reader realize that something's wrong right before it reveals that something's wrong. And I, I just have to praise the author on, on that one. It was, it's so good in the story. So here's the passage. The bird's chest peeled open and cables shot out. The cables, slick with blood and slime, wrapped themselves around Karn's head. Goo slipped down his skin and a maw at the tentacle's core searched along Karn's cheek for purchase, its teeth scraping down the smooth metal. Karn readjusted his grip around the creature's slippery body, trying to pull it from his face. But its wires had wrapped all the way around his head, locking together in a thick tangle at the nape of his neck. The creature's teeth caught Karn's lip. It jabbed needle-like protuberances into him, like it wanted to inject him with some substance. Karn isn't out of the woods, though. 
This creature also oozes acid, which corrodes through his metal. Because it's wrapped around Karn's neck, Jaya can't blast it with her fire spells. Right as Karn manages to fling this thing across the room, a Johnny stabs it with his claw to prevent it from fleeing. Then Karn creates a birdcage to trap it in, because of course he does. That's a really good way to lose your eyebrows. I don't blame her. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Jaya ever, like, she needs to be conscientious about everything. Well, you have to, right? Like, that's one of the things that I think in a lot of different um, fantasy genres, when you have fire magic, it's always a question of, can you hurt your allies with your fire? Yeah, absolutely. And always being cognizant of where they are so you don't just eviscerate all of your allies when you're fighting with your fire spells. Yeah. And like Karn is metal, so he can obviously melt, right? Like fire would not do him friendly if if right. it actually caught him. Yeah. So this is just the beginning. Karn brings this creature inside its cage to the meeting room downstairs with all the Dominarian politicians. There are knights lining the room. The attendees, including Joda, are shocked to see this. Right as Joda came to the long awaited conclusion, they're here among us. Some of the knights in the room exploded outward from their armor. Their eyes burst open in a shower of glistening black oil and their jaws distended, metal teeth emerging from their flesh to stud their gaping maws. Metallic fibers wriggled out from beneath the gaps of their armor. So uh, I'd say that they're pretty aware of the Phyrexian threat now that it's right in their face, and hopefully these negotiations are over. I just love how it's like they were so late to the party. It's like Karn, Ajani, everybody had known about the Phyrexians like hours and hours and hours ago. Karn, like months ago. To very right? even. To very even. And then they finally bring it to the this meeting room, and then all these politicians are like, oh! <gasps> They're here! And Karn's like, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Karn, Joda, Jaya, Teferi, Ajani enter the fray, of course. They're planeswalkers. Of course they're going to jump in to protect the uninfected knights on on one side of the room, as well as like the noble leaders that are also trapped into this like meeting room. He can't save all of them, but with the help of his planeswalker friends, Karn saves Sten and a few of the others by locking the Phyrexians into the room with them and allowing the others to get to safety. Joda begins to summon his teleporting abilities to get them all out of this mess, and Sten volunteers Argybia, New Argive's watchtower, as a secure location for the group to escape the attacking Phyrexians. Ajani is separated from the rest during this. He chases a Phyrexian out onto the balcony and then onto a neighboring rooftop with this great cat-like leap that the others just cannot follow. Unfortunately, they can't wait for Ajani to return though. The Phyrexians attacking them are terrifying if you haven't picked up on that. Regular weapons like swords aren't harming them. They just split themselves off into pieces. Dismembering them does no good as separated legs sprouts tentacles and gains life of its own. So Joda's portal is nearly ready. Jaya volunteers to blast the room with fire once everyone is safely through, which she does. Who doesn't love a good fireball spell, though? Jaya grinned in triumph as she raised her hands in a blaze of fire and set the whole room alight. The screams of the Phyrexians wet and unnatural whistled. So as soon as Karn steps through the portal, he notices a flicker passing his head. A Phyrexian creature has followed them through the portal, and Sten flips a toggle that turns the whole watchtower into a fortress. It basically locks it down to prevent the creature from escaping. They go off in search of the small Phyrexian thing that had come through with them that had slithered away. Now, as Karn looks around at Joda, Jaya, Teferi, and Sten, all humans, he wonders, if the Phyrexians are already on Dominaria, who can he trust? 
So yeah, big time. It's real. It's in your face. No one can deny it anymore. The Phyrexians are here. Can I just say that moment that that bird turns into a Phyrexian in front of everybody? That was just such a moment where you truly get to see how disgusting <laughs> Phyrexians are, right? Like how just like horrifying they can be, right? Because they just take this beautiful organic thing and turn it into a horrific nightmare, right? Over that can, like, I'm just picturing those needle-like protrusions that's trying to infect anything that it's around. It's just a, like, a terrifying sort of a type of creature, right? That had, like, that just mindlessly wants to overtake whatever it can. Just, the Phyrexians are horrifying. So basically, they're in this room, this bird turns into a Phyrexian, some of the people that are there in the negotiations also turned into Phyrexians and attack these planeswalkers. And so it's a bird and a few people against these planeswalkers and the planeswalkers have to retreat. I mean, that is, yeah. that's truly horrifying. Imagine, you know, like your favorite superhero being taken down by, you know, a nobody essentially. And that's what almost happens here. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just goes to show that even a sleeper agent could be deadly, even for a planeswalker. Right. And I think that was another important piece that only has like a few sentences in the episode, but it is critical to fairy announce that planeswalkers are susceptible to Phyrexianization. Like planeswalkers can be completed, which means because before this moment, you know, a Johnny, Jaya, Joda, like they all thought that they were immune to Phyrexianization. They thought planeswalkers had enough power to be able to not ever be Phyrexianized. But that was proven false. Teferi brought the news that they're all susceptible. So it must be terrifying now fighting against something that you know you could be infected with. Yeah, I mean, and it, they can infect you so easily. It can be through an oil that you touch or they can, you know, stick a needle in you and inject you with something, which is just horrifying. I mean, the body horror in this episode is pretty crazy. Yeah, and if you've never seen a art piece of a Phyrexian, highly recommend looking at some of these cards in, in Magic or looking at some of these art pieces that just give the context over how Phyrexians can be very, very small little creatures. And they can also be massive. Like they can be also these enormous creatures and they have all sorts of sharp points to them. The, the metal is very black. Like it's this very dark, almost like, um, if you, if you know the, the term in like the metallic sort of gray car, you know, like that shiny, almost dark gray stony look that's kind of what their metalish skin is like and they just have like these segmented sort of arms and legs and like they can have like hundreds of little arms and legs or they could just have like four of them you know it's like kind of depends on how the the machine is built and also what the original organic material that they had to in order to build themselves off of so like it's it's they take the organic material of what they kind of infected and build themselves off of that as well so you're going to be able to see kind of like oh that was once uh, this type of creature and you can kind of see it turned phyrexian into this mechanical sort of creepy looking machine thing that just has like and 
Um, there's also real prevalent, like, the eyes can be, like, really red and just kind of, like, stare into you. And you can just, like, it's very unsettling to look at a Phyrexian image. And they're so iconic, you know, in, in painting some of these old Phyrexian wars in, in, in magic history. It's like, they're just so, you don't really forget them when you look at them and... They're just they haunt your nightmares for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. So in magic, we have, um, you know, obviously magic is cards. It's made up of cards. There's a subset of those cards called the story spotlight cards. And the story spotlight cards actually represent story moments from these stories. So if you want to look in our show notes, you can actually see all of the story cards that are associated with this episode. And of course, you can go collect them yourself. Um, I know I am a big collector of the story cards. Uh, they bring me a lot of joy. It's so cool to be able to see these moments that are in the lore represented on the cards. Yeah, and if you if you are one of those people who pay attention to card details, the story moment cards actually have mtgstory.com written at the bottom of the card. So that's how you can also tell if you have a story card in your collection. It actually has it called out at the bottom. Yep, and you can visit mtgstory.com anytime to read these full stories. Um, thank you so much for listening. We are so excited to take you into episode three next week where we figure out what happens after the pl- these planeswalkers leave Dominaria's tower of negotiations to go and escape the horrors that have that have found them there. Yeah, things are getting real. Things are getting real, real. So thank you all. Thanks for joining us in the multiverse. Have Have a magical magical day. day.